Well, Oregon has its most significant transfer departure to date in running back Dante Dowdell, and yet they're going to be just fine. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review. Please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase a Saturday show because there's too much going on and I just appreciate you all that much and there's a bunch of mailbag questions that we're getting to on today's show but the big news from yesterday was that Dante Dowdell has announced his intention to enter the transfer portal that wasn't the only piece of running back news Bucky Irving is going to play in the Fiesta Bowl I have two thoughts on each of those particular matters number one starting with Dante Dowdell This was a little bit of a surprise, but then less of a surprise as I thought about it more. So he is definitely the player that of those who have transferred out, I felt had the greatest chance of the group that have left Oregon to be highly impactful down the line. Now, he wasn't the most experienced player. He didn't play a lot this year, was only in, you know, in in a few games in mop-up duty. He might even have kept his redshirt status. I think wherever he goes, he could be good. But I think the reason that Dowdell is in the portal is because as we saw throughout the year with regards to the running back depth depth chart and, you know, how players got into the game once it was out of hand and Jordan James and Bucky Irving, Noah Whittington weren't on the field anymore, Jaden Lamar was ahead of him. That was a consistent theme. And I like Jaden Lamar. I really like Dante Dowdell as well. I think that if Noah Whittington didn't get hurt, Dowdell would probably be staying. Not a guarantee, but probably. I think what's happened here is Noah Whittington could have gone to the NFL after this season. But are you best poised to go into the draft after a year in which you missed most of it due to an injury? Probably not. And Bucky Irving's going to go to the NFL after he plays in the Fiesta Bowl. I actually think in the NFL, Whittington could end up having a better career than Bucky Irving, which would not be the first time that, you know, the number two back had a better pro career than the number one back. Kenyon and LaMichael uh, come to mind, for instance. Kenyon was in the league, I, I believe, longer than LaMichael James was. Neither was, you know, a, a regular player, but Barner was a good special teams guy and has a couple Super Bowl rings. But I think that for, for Dowdell, he is stuck down the depth chart going into next year. He's behind Jaden Lamar. He'd be behind Jordan James and he'll be behind Noah Whittington. So that would put him fourth. So that means it would essentially be another year in which he is, you know, no longer able to, you know, you can't redshirt twice. So he can't do that again. So he'd waste a year of eligibility in his view. And that is probably not in his best interests because he wants to play, of course. And he wants to try and set himself up to get to the NFL. And you can't do that if you're the number four running back. So I think that that makes sense. If Whittington hadn't gotten hurt this year, I think there's a pretty good chance that he, along with Bucky Irving, goes to the NFL draft. And then the running back room for next year would be a combination of Jordan James would be your lead back. And then you would supplement with Jade Lamar and Dante Dowdell. And coming into this season, by the way, Jordan James was the number three guy. How does he look right about now? 
if I told you that Whittington, you know, maybe wasn't all the way back from injury and we had to start Jordan James at running back, who feels good about that? I do. I think James is a stud. And so I think that that's the unfortunate series of events that led to, to Dowdell entering the portal. I understand it still wasn't necessarily expecting it, but he's definitely a guy who in the limited action we saw and based on what he was as a recruit coming out of high school from down in Mississippi, he was a really, really good recruiting pull for Carlos Lachlan and the staff. I think that he has you know, got the physical traits to be ready to contribute right now. And I think he was willing to, to have one season where he really didn't play, but I don't think he was willing to have two. And I think this tells us definitively that Noah Whittington is coming back. I, I think that is the expectation here. I have not heard or seen or read anything to the contrary. So that's something we should fully expect that the running back room next year will be, you know, a lot like what it was going to be coming into this year, which is uh, a two headed monster at the top. It'll be Bucky or, or not Bucky Irving because he's going to the NFL. Of course, it'll be Jordan James and, and Noah Whittington in whichever order you want, play the hot hand. And then you have a number three back And there. And there's always been, a number three back in Oregon's offense. You go back even to like the early LaMichael Kenyon days, you had uh, Andre Crenshaw or in 2022, you had Sean dollars was the number three back. You had like a, you know, a Tony Brooks, James, he might've been more of a number two when he was with the ducks, but like you, you get the point that I'm making here. A Kenai Benoit, like there have always been a healthy rotation of running backs and capable guys. So I think Oregon's running back room is okay. It's definitely a loss that I was, you know, the most bummed about. You know, I think Cozart was the most puzzling because I didn't feel like there was ever, you know, expectation that he would play as a true freshman. But he's going to SMU where he'll probably, you know, catch the ball a pretty good amount in, in 2024. But I think for the running back room, they're still okay. They could maybe still be going after a running back target from the high school ranks. But this is definitely uh, the, the the portal announcement, and there will be more for sure. There could be more surprising ones. There could be more impactful ones. We'll have to wait and see, especially now that the NCAA has said, yeah, you can be a two-time transfer, and there's nothing they can do about it. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> just keep that in mind uh, as you consider you know everything that's happening with the transfer portal, portal here. But anyway, that was my first thought on Dowdell. The second one is, this reminds me of the Trey Benson situation. I was super high on Dowdow coming out of high school. I still am. I think his potential is immense. And I think that wherever he ends up, my guess would be the SEC because that's the area of the country where he's from. He could go in and contribute right away. I think he can be really good. And Trey Benson, by the way, was someone who came to Oregon as a talented recruit, wasn't able to crack the depth chart, transfers to a power five school, and he's a stud. He's a big time player for Florida State this year. Dowdell could absolutely be that. But this is why you always want to recruit as many talented players as possible, especially at the skill positions. But really every position, it matters. When guys leave and they now have the freedom to do so at a rate that you know we've never seen before with the portal and now you can transfer twice and not be penalized and whatnot, at least you know for this season, I think that that means you could see even more movement. We'll see if that sticks. I, I, I don't know if that rule sticks for next season, but Benson was a guy who left. He was really talented. He could have been really good at Oregon, and Oregon's running back room has still been really good the last couple of years. So I trust Carlos Lachlan. I think that Lachlan is fantastic as a recruiter. He's a great developer. As of now, Oregon's running back room for next year looks something like this. Noah Whittington, Jordan James, Jaden Lamar, 
Dejon Riggs, the true freshman that will be coming in in the 2024 cycle. My guess is they either you know pick up another kid on signing day from the high school ranks, or maybe they go to the transfer portal and pick up somebody here or there. But I can't think of a year in which you'd be down to your fourth running back as the only guy there. Like running back's a position where guys can get hurt pretty regularly. You just you take a lot of contact, you take a lot of hits. We saw with Noah Whittington this year. It happens. He's not an injury prone guy. It just happens sometimes. But I think Oregon's depth is good. I think they got plenty of bodies in there. And I think for next season, uh, they will be just fine. Bucky Irving is doing something that is certainly not conventional. And it makes me think about another Oregon player as well. I'm always thinking about game time, though, because if you want to go to the Fiesta Bowl and you haven't gotten your ticket yet, game time's the place to go. When you're buying tickets to your next big event, whatever it is, you shouldn't have to worry. And game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. You can see the view from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. You get all-in prices, so you get your total up front without hidden fees, and you can buy tickets in seconds with just two taps. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-C-O-L-L-E-G-E. That's Locked On College for $20 off. If you're thinking about going to the Fiesta Bowl, I encourage you to do so. Won't be able to watch an Oregon football game for about nine months. Think about that. Terms apply. Go to game time, download the app, last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All righty. Second segment, SIP, is, as I like to say sometimes in play-by-play, down the hatch. So Bucky Irving's going to play in the Fiesta Bowl. I think that this is twofold. Number one, the last game that Bucky Irving played on national television was one of his worst as a duck awesome player. I'm going to miss him. He has been great the last two years. That was a bad game against Washington. He wasn't breaking tackles, didn't look explosive. Jordan James had the much better game. That combined with the fact that Irving, I think, has you know a a role in the NFL. Like I look at some of the backs in the NFL and think about what they were in college, and I go, yeah, Bucky Irving is, is better than that guy. I don't think he's a feature back you know, his hands are, are are good enough, I think. I don't I don't think they're great, but he he he's someone who, you know, also struggles in pass protection. I think his NFL upside is a little bit limited, though certainly he has a chance to have a career in the NFL. He might bounce around as number, you know, three or four or two running back at, with a couple of different teams. If he finds the right scheme and I think tweaks a couple of things about his game, he could be really, really good. But I think that's the first part of it. And the second part of it is I think it speaks to his character. The guy wants to go out and compete. And in the era of bull opt-outs, Oregon's, you know, two of their most vocal and important players, Bo Nix and Bucky Irving, those two guys have opted in. And I respect the heck out of both of them for doing that because it has just become so commonplace because of the devaluation of bull season to say, ah, game doesn't matter, don't want to do it. I really respect guys that want to go out there and compete with their team and their play for their coaches, play for the fans, play with their teammates one more time. So I think that'll be fun. 
I feel good about Oregon going into the game, especially with those two guys, Bucky and Bo, playing back there. But I, I think both of those things kind of kind of factor into it. Uh, you know, the NFL component, you know, trying to up your draft stock if you have a, a big game, I think that uh, can certainly help. And then the other thing is I think he's just a competitor. He wants to go out there and play. So some of you just want to go out there and drop questions in the mailbag. The mailbag is jam-packed. I mean, I, I've still got more questions, but the mailbag is one of the reasons that I decided to do a Saturday show for you all because there are so many questions. I don't want to leave them and I don't want to keep you waiting and whatnot. YouTube comments or Twitter, great ways to get in the mailbag at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. If you want priority mailbag access, you can go become a locked on ducks in, insider at joinsubtext.com slash locked on ducks. Link in the description below wherever you listen to or watch the show. Free 14 day tryout. Then it's just $5 a month. Appreciate everybody over there. These questions came in from Bud via subtext. Priority access, as promised. I try to be like the Joker in the Dark Knight, circa 2008, RIP Heath Ledger. I try to be a man of my word. So, here are a few questions that came in from Bud. Great cues as always. With the upcoming visit to Oregon by Dante Moore, what do you think of the following strategies? One, 2024 as his redshirt year, so he would have three remaining years of eligibility. Or two, Dante get a substantial amount of playing time so he could be the leading candidate for starting quarterback in 2025. And if Dante did become a duck, how might that affect the recruitment of Achilles Smith and the retention of Austin Novosad? So let's start with scenario number one. I don't think that a red shirt is on the table. So I remember long ago when, you know, I went down to Vegas and interviewed Dante Moore in person, super cerebral guy. He was talking before he had made his high school commitment about a desire to go to the NFL and red shirting could be an option, but I don't think for him that's going to be in the cards because if he's willing to sit out for a year, great. He sits behind an experienced veteran quarterback in Dylan Gabriel, gets to know Will Stein's system, watches it be executed, hopefully at a high level next year, and then starts in 2025. I think in his mind, that 2025 season is one where he pops and becomes an NFL caliber quarterback. I think that's the way he'd be approaching it. And at the very most, he would want to spend two more years at Oregon after sitting for a season. So I see where your head's at with the red shirt. I don't see that being an option for, for Dante Moore because of what I think his uh, personal goals are. As so, so I, and I don't think Oregon therefore has to worry about, you know, Oh, do we want to play him in four games, play him here, there, whatnot? Like, just make him as ready as you can for 2025 and go by there. Remember, college football now with the portal and everything is a year-to-year -year proposition. You put all your chips into the table and make the best of it every single season. There is no planning for you know the next year or saying, oh, we're going to compete at this time. Oregon's not that kind of program. Other teams are. Other schools are. Oregon with Dan Lanning absolutely is not. Your next question is a great one. If Dante did become a duck, how might that affect the recruitment of Achilles Smith and the retention of Austin Novosad? Should not have any bearing on Achilles Smith Jr. That's a class of 2025 kid. So he doesn't set foot on campus until at earliest spring 2025. We're talking 18 months from now. I don't think that has an impact at all. If Dante Moore comes to Oregon, I fully expect and would respect uh, the decision of Austin Novosad to go into the transfer portal. I, I I don't think that he would have a path to starting 
Because if more comes in, the staff sees him as a starting caliber guy. And Novosad can be that too. I don't think he'd be able to beat out Dante Moore. Maybe he wants to bet on himself and say, nope, I think I can beat that guy. Moore's got more experience. Moore was a more highly rated recruit. Moore was committed to the Ducks before Novosad. I think all of those things trend in the direction of Dante Moore would get the nod and the opportunity before Novosad, and he'd probably transfer. And that'd be okay, because then you'd have Moga and Achilles Smith coming in, and you can always bring in transfers, as we know. So last question here from Bud. Certainly not the last mailback question, though. Goodness gracious. We got another quarterback question, even. I'm here for it. Bo Nix appears to be extremely cerebral and a passionate supporter of the Oregon football program. Program, Bud, spelled with a U at the end, as we all know. I'm joking, of course, but not really. Given that, do you see a future in football coaching for Bo? And can you foresee a day when he would want some type of position in the Oregon coaching staff? So, yes, but I don't think it's as strong a possibility as some people may be able to connect the dots of right now. Bo Nix wants to try his hand in the NFL. He is going to get an opportunity somewhere to, at the very least, be a starting quarterback in a couple years. Maybe it doesn't work out, but I think that Bo Nix has got enough talent. When you look around the NFL right now, I mean, Easton Stick and Aiden O'Connell. I watched Aiden O'Connell at Purdue. That guy was nothing special. If he's playing in the league and has a career as a backup, Bo Nix could be a backup quarterback as long as he wants because he is a smart, heady guy with better physical tools than Aiden O'Connell of the Raiders. And that's no disrespect there. I'm just saying by any objective measure, Bo Nix is a better NFL prospect than Aiden O'Connell. So, you know, Mariota is still in the league. Hasn't, you know, had a starting job. I know there was a whole thing with the Falcons, and that was weird, but the Falcons, you know, they stink, so whatever. But I think that for, you know, a guy like Bo Nix, he could absolutely be in the NFL about as long as he wants to be. Mariota, high character guy, smart dude, got some traits that allow him to stick around. He's the backup for the Eagles right now. I think he had to come in and throw a pass when uh, Jalen Hurts went out and he completed it and, you know, looked like the the same guy that we've seen in the NFL for many years. Bo Nix could be in the NFL for a while. I bring that up to say by the time he gets out of football and could potentially want to come be a coach, I don't know what Oregon's coaching situation is going to look like. I have no idea what kind of staff openings they would have. If Dan Lanning is still the head coach, which I would love for him to be, yeah, I'm sure he would call Bo Nix and say, do you want to come be my quarterback's coach? I, I I bet you he would. That could be a long ways away, and a lot of things can change between now and then. So while I could understand it, I, I don't know that that is in Bo's future. I think he wants to be a player. Could I see him being a coach one day? Yes. But I think he's going to give it a real shot to be a player before he thinks about becoming a coach. Good question, though. Good, good question. There are more good questions on this podcast, and I'm going to answer them. And then on Monday's show, I'm going to answer those questions too, because I love the questions that you all sent. They make the show so much more fun and just like slightly unpredictable for me. Like I, you know, have thoughts, I write out the questions and everything, but then I kind of don't look at them all day until I record the show. That way where you're getting uh, a live reaction from me, which I think is more fun. If you disagree, well, I'm not going to change my process now because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So appreciate all of you out there. Appreciate Prize Picks as well for being the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America, the easiest and most exciting way 
to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. That's it. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you just pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and then you watch the winnings roll in. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy, so your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For f- football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half, does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. You can also play alongside Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. Go check them out at prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use that code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks daily fantasy sports made easy. The mailbag rolls along. A different quarterback to ask a question about. Love this. This is from Zaheem Richards. It's a cool name. Can Gabriel lead Oregon to a championship? He's referring to Dylan Gabriel, of course. And the answer is yes, he can. A number of quarterbacks can. A lot of things have to go Oregon's way. You got to have a good enough team. You got to have a good enough season. You got to get a break here and there. You got to get the right matchups when you get into, hopefully, the 12-team college football playoff. All of those things have to transpire. But is Dylan Gabriel, as he presently is and has been as a college football player, able to give you enough at the quarterback position to lead Oregon to a national championship? The answer is yes. Do I think that he's as good as Bo Nix? No. So the rest of the team has to be even better than they were this year. But I think that for Oregon, Dylan Gabriel is a guy that gives you enough. I don't think he's going to get up to a Heisman level. That's okay. Non-Heisman quarterbacks win national championships all the time. Stetson Bennett was a Heisman finalist last, last year, mostly because he was on Georgia, and they were undefeated, and they won the national championship. And everyone knew they were going to go on to win the national championship. You look at J.J. McCarthy at Michigan. That guy's nothing special. Everyone was talking about him as an NFL draft pick, and I never saw it personally. He's a solid college quarterback. I think that... Dylan Gabriel, on a good day, is better than J.J. McCarthy, who is getting ready to play in the Rose Bowl, which is a college football playoff semifinal game this year. So, yeah, a quarterback who completes almost 70% of his passes, over 3,500 yards, 30 touchdowns, six picks, run for 12 more. If that guy just comes over and you just, you know, what's the best uh, plug and play? If you plug and play the same guy, just say, nope, take off that Oklahoma uniform. Here's an Oregon one. Then, yeah, that's enough. That is that is absolutely enough. Uh, Zaheem also had another question. Who he, I got to be honest with you, Zaheem. I'm questioning your question here. He says that he's an everydayer who wants to hear my thoughts on the 12-team playoff because he has not heard them before. Now, Zaheem, we got to have a talk, you and me. Are you actually an everydayer or are you just a new everydayer? Be honest. There's no no shame, no no disdain, no hate, nothing. Just got to know. I have discussed this many a times on the show here before, but if you're a new everydayer, hey, that's okay. Maybe you missed a show. Maybe you're not watching all or, or listening to all of every show. Maybe that's why you haven't heard my take before. Hmm. That's a possibility right there. 
Let me know because I'm curious. But the 12-team playoff, my opposition is quite simple. It is not an opposition that is rooted in something that won't benefit Oregon. It absolutely will. If they had a 12-team playoff this year, Oregon would be in it and would have the chance to play in a playoff structure for a national championship. That is a good thing. I do not believe everything about a 12-team playoff is inherently bad. I believe that the negatives outweigh the positives because I am an old school college football fan. I also recognize that a 12-team playoff or at least an expanded playoff in some capacity makes more sense when you have these super conferences that have Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC, Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA in the Big Ten, and the four corner schools off to the Big 12. Really just Utah, nobody else. Well, Arizona maybe could be a playoff contender next year. So I think that for, for Oregon, they're absolutely going to benefit and have more access to the playoff. And you can argue that's a good thing. Yep. And if Oregon gets an extra home game at Autzen Stadium in a postseason environment because of it, man, I'd love to go and be there for that and cover it. And I would think it's awesome. And, and many, many things will be. My objection to the 12-team playoff comes as Spencer McLaughlin, the neutral college football fan. College football has always had and I say we'll always be, but we're just moving away from it little by little with this stuff. The greatest regular season sport in the world. There is no, there is no other sport, including and especially the NFL, which I'm a fan of and I watch every week. Well, almost every week. The matchups have been pretty bad this year, but there is no sport in which the week-to-week urgency is greater than college football. There is no sport in which a regular season loss in any particular week is more consequential than college football. In the NFL, you can get to a point in a playoff structure in which your season comes down to one game. But that's after you've already suffered six or seven losses and you're fighting for a playoff spot. That level of urgency, when the NFL has that, it makes it a more compelling product. College football has that every single week. And we saw that this year with the Ducks. When Oregon lost to Washington in Seattle, there was still a path to the playoff. Was it a guarantee? No, because that loss mattered. And then in the conference championship game, the way that college football is structured with the conference title games is you essentially have a de facto double elimination 14-week playoff. You do. And that's why it's so great. And so when you have, and I know there's a subjective nature to it in Florida State and blah, 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 blah. FSU would have been housed by anybody they played in the college football playoff. They were not as good of a football team without Jordan Travis. Sorry about it. So I think that that is what the sport is losing, and I lament that very much because losing to Washington was crushing both times. In a 12-team playoff, what does it matter? Getting in either way. Oh, it couldn't beat Washington. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't like losing to our arch rival either, but guess what? There's no large-scale ramifications. Ohio State, Michigan has served as an elimination game within the regular season twice in the last three years. It would have been three years in a row if USC hadn't lost to Utah in the Pac-12 title game last year. You can't replicate that in any other sport 
until you get to the very end of the regular season. But the week-to-week urgency in college football is unlike any other sport. And when you have a 12-team playoff, you take that away. Losses are less significant. That is objectively true. It's why college football has always been special. It's why I'm opposed to the 12-team playoff. Even though I fully admit and will enjoy certain benefits of it, and it'll be good for Oregon. And in the Super Conference era, yeah, you might even say you need it in some instances. But guess what? I'm not a fan of realignment either. This sport didn't need all these wholesale changes, but they're happening anyway because it's a fantastic sport governed by below average people. I'm off my soapbox now. Last question here from Duck the Rules. Hey, Spence, maybe you can help make sense of this because it drives me crazy. In regards to the college football awards and the Heisman, the committee clearly favors stats regardless of how you achieve them. Yet, in the voting order, Penix finished ahead of Knicks and by quite a bit. Knicks had far better stats than Penix, but Penix won the game, so which is it? Stats are winning. Furthermore, Penix won the Maxwell, best all-around player. How can Jane Daniels win the Heisman, but not the Maxwell, or vice versa? versa? And how does Penix win the Maxwell when Knicks won Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year? If Penix lost to Knicks in their own conference award, he shouldn't win Maxwell over him. I know you're going to say they're different award votes voted on by different people, but really they are not that different in regards to what they mean by the best player. A lot to unpack there. Uh, in short, SEC bias is a very real thing. In no world would someone with Michael Penix's stats, even if you have a couple of off games, which he definitely did, would he have led a 13-0 SEC team? Would Michael Penix not win the Heisman? Now, Stetson Bennett did not win the, the Heisman last year as the quarterback of a 13-0 Georgia team. So it's not automatic. But if memory serves, Bennett did not have the statistical season that Penix had this year. I'm going to pull up Stetson Bennett's uh, stats real quick just to kind of be sure on that. But his last year, oh, he was over 4,000 yards, but he only threw for 27 touchdowns. Um, that that is not that is not in the same the same realm as you know what Penix has done this year and. Uh, last year as well but of course this is the year that he was a Heisman finalist so yeah there are a lot of factors that go into it the short answer and the easy answer and frankly the correct answer is everything is subjective I mean Washington fans were ticked off that Bo Nix won Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year you can easily look at Bo Nix's stats and say yeah they were better than Penix's because they were but then in the Heisman race because that's a more national award they're looking at the games that had national implications. Penix outdueled Knicks, at least in the eyes of the college football world. And I, I would say that as well. Penix had the clutch drive in Seattle and Bo Nix did not have a, a great start, though he still played a good overall game, just not his best one in the Pac-12 title game. And Penix was fantastic from the jump. So that's the best explanation. But really just know that everything is subjective. And that's That's the only real way to explain inconsistencies like that. But there are many of those in this wonderful sport we love, but we love it anyway. Last thing real quick, men's basketball, big game on Sunday against Syracuse. Bit would love to have that game to build the resume for an at-large. I'll be tuning in and I'll be reacting to it as well. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.